We're in chapter 25, and just a quick review. David sends 10 of his men to request food from Naval, who is a very rich man. And he was having a sheep shearing feast, and Naval not only refused to give anything to David, but he curses David out and sends away David's men, empty-handed and embarrassed. And they tell David everything that happens, what Naval said. And David, in response to that, he takes 400 of his men, and he's on his way to wipe out Naval and his entire household. In the meantime, Naval's wife, Avigail, she gets word of what's going on. One of her servants who saw what happened between Naval and David tell her the whole story. And Avigail acts quickly, the verse says. She loads up a ton of food onto donkeys, which is to be sent to David and his men. And she sends out the food with her servants ahead of her. That is, she'll come later. She wants David to see the food before she starts talking to him and making speeches because she's got to try to convince him not to wipe out Naval's household. And we discussed her wisdom every step of the way in doing things the way she's doing it. Now, the last verse we read, verses 21 and 22, it's right right before Avigail meets up with David. David is on his way to wipe out Naval, and he's saying how much Naval deserves to die, and he's an ingrate, etc., who's on her way. She's riding a donkey, Besetarahar, at the ridge of the mountain, and now she meets up with David. And it says in verse 23, David. And Avigail saw David. And she quickly got off her donkey. And she fell on her face before David. And she prostrated herself on the ground. So she's obviously here giving David a lot of kavod. That's the first thing she does here. Show him some honor. He certainly didn't get covered from her husband, Naval. She wants to compensate for that a little bit. Remember, she is trying to defuse a very volatile situation here. David's on his way to wipe everybody out. If David goes through with this, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. So there's no time to waste. Verse 24, Vitipol al-Raglav. And it says, and she fell at his feet. Okay, so that's a lot of bowing down. In the previous verse, she bows down. And now here, she falls at his feet. So the Dat Mikra explains like this. In the last verse, the first time she bows down, it says, David. She saw David. That is, she saw him from afar. She got off her donkey before she was really close to him and she fell on her face, prostrated to the ground. That was when she saw him from afar. In this verse, she's already approached him. She's close to him. So it says she fell at his feet. Now she's close up to him before it was from a distance. Remember, it's not just David. She sees David's men and they don't look too happy. They got their swords drawn and they're ready to roll on a crusade of vengeance. And now, very suddenly, she meets up with them. So there's not a second to waste. She's got to act quickly. She's got to think on her feet. And the first thing she does is get off her feet and she bows down. So she's doing things and she's going to say things that can stop them in their tracks. What she has to do is buy time. Now, if a beautiful woman you don't know is bowing down like that, that could buy some time. Okay, but let's now see what she says. Vitomer, and she said, Bi'ani adani avon. In me alone is the sin. I'm the sinner. It's just me. So that's a great start. She apologizes, first of all, for what happened. And she takes the blame, which isn't true. She didn't do anything wrong. But she says, I have sinned. And in the next verse, she'll explain who really sinned, who really messed up. It wasn't her. 
But it's good to open up that way, to apologize right off the bat, and that helps to diffuse the situation. And most importantly, is to get their attention from the very beginning so they don't go stampeding on the way to Naval's estate. Okay, so after apologizing, we see in verse 24, she says, Shma devrei amatecha. Now, let your handmaid speak into your ears, please. That is, listen to what your handmaid has to say. The Obarbanel says, she's saying, look, what you're about to do affects me too. So hear me out, please. And according to Yosef Kara, she's saying like this, that you can't make a final judgment on anybody until you hear him speak his piece. So let me speak my piece, she's saying. So all this forces David to stop and think, okay, this person is before me. I have to hear her out. All the more so, he sees this woman bowing down, taking the blame. Of course, he's going to listen to what she has to say. And so now that Abigail has David's ear and she was able to buy time and get David to listen to her, now she's going to start to say what she's got to say. Please, don't pay attention, my Lord. Don't pay attention to this blial, to this yokeless, vulgar man, this wicked fellow, Al Naval. Don't pay attention to this Naval. For he is just like his name. Naval Shemo. Naval is his name. And with him is decadency or ungratefulness, crudeness. However you want to translate Nevala, she says that's what goes with him, just like his name. Okay, so obviously she's trashing her husband here, Naval. She's really ranking on him. She's telling the truth about him. But why does she open her speech in this way? That he's a Minoval. That's his name. So the Malbim says like this, that somebody can only put you down when he's your equal. But a degenerate like this, if he insults you, it shouldn't be construed as an insult. If that person who degrades you, he's a total idiot, like Naval is, a lowlife. That's what she says, Alta simli bo. Don't pay attention to it. And Yosef Kara says something similar. Let's say there's an insane person, a crazy man, and he insults you. Would you be insulted? Or would you just say, he's crazy? So you can only get insulted or hurt by somebody who you care what they think. So who cares what Naval thinks? Rabbi Kane has the following, explaining why she's telling David what a lousy person her husband is. She's like this. It's not just you he's cheap with and mean to. He's like that with everybody. That's his nature. He's vulgar. He's Naval. He's selfish, like his name. Therefore, don't look at him as a Mored Bamalchut. You're judging him as a rebel against the kingdom? But he's like that with everybody, not just with you. So he's dismissed from being a Mored Bamalchut. And Rabbi Kahana continues that she's saying that it could be that if you go by the letter of the law, yeah, he deserves to die for insulting you. He's a Mored Bamalchut. But when you consider the circumstances, it's not really proper to kill him and his household. So Avigail is employing a very wise strategy here. First of all, she agrees with David that Naval is a bad guy. No argument there. So that already gives them common ground. They have a common base to work on. And once she's achieved that, she can advise him that it's not Kadai for David to judge Naval as a rebel to the kingdom or Mered Bamalchut. He's just not worth it. And that's what she's going to do in the next verses. Okay, so now Avigail continues in the verse after saying how much Daval is a low life. She ends the verse saying, And as for me, your maidservant, I didn't see the boys you sent. So this is really important for her to say too, because at the outset, she said, it's my fault. It's my sin. 
But that was just to buy time. Now that she has the time and she has the stage, she's saying, I didn't see the boys you sent. But if I did, I would have acted differently. I would have treated them properly. So you can see her wisdom with every word. Okay, so let's see what she says next. Ve'ata, and now, Adoni, my Lord. Chai Hashem, v'chai nafshecha. As the Lord lives, I swear. And she's saying that to stress what she wants to say. As the Lord lives, I swear that the Lord has withheld you. Humanamimcha, the word in Hebrew. He prevented you. He kept you from coming into blood spilling, from spilling lots of blood. The Lord has prevented that from you and he's kept you from avenging yourself with your own hands against your enemies. So Rashi explains that what she's saying here is, thank God the Lord sent me to you to stop what you were about to do. That is, it's Mishamayim that Hashem put me in this spot that I was able to intercept you just in time. Now this is another clever thing she's doing. As Rabbi Kahana points out, and I'll read it in Hebrew. Avigail apikrit medeberet b'lashon avar. Avigail is very clever. She's speaking in the past tense here. She's saying, thank God you didn't go through with it. As if it's a done deal already. She's already assuming that David won't go through with it. She's setting up a fact. She says, thank God the Lord prevented you from spilling all this blood. As if it's a sure thing that David has changed his mind. And this is a great tactic, Rabbi Ghana says, because it gives David an opportunity an opening, as they say in Hebrew, to come down from the pedestal that he propped up. I don't know how to say that in English, but it gives him a way to change his decision without looking bad. And now she concludes in verse 26, may your enemies and all those who want to harm you, they should end up like Naval. So she's already assuming again, not only that David won't go through with it, she's also assuming here that Naval is going to drop dead or he's on his way out. How does she know that's what's going to happen? Because it will later on. So Rashi says, that she had prophecy, or Ruach HaKodesh, that he would not live much longer. And that's why Avigail is listed as one of the seven women who are prophets. According to the Mitzvah David, it's not that she prophesied Naval's going to die, but what she was saying was, he's going to die by God's hand. Just like David said to Saul after the cave episode, that Hashem will judge between us, but my hand won't be against you, but someone else's might. That's what she's saying here. May your enemies end up like Naval. That is, Hashem will take care of him. Now, if you look at the Talmud in Megillah 14, the rabbis explain that she's coming from a halachic point of view, that she raised a couple of halachic arguments against what David was doing. She said like this, you can't judge Naval as a rebel against the kingdom. Why? Saul is still around. You may be king in theory or in potential, but on the ground, Tachlis, your time hasn't come yet. What they say in the Gemara is, your coin hasn't been minted yet. So she's saying that since David isn't sitting on the throne as of yet, he's far from it. He's more like sitting on a rock in the wilderness than on a throne. He doesn't have the justification in Jewish law to kill Naval for being a Mored Bamalchut, for insulting the king, because his Tachlis, he's not the king yet. Okay, so whether she's correct or not, or whether David agrees with her or not, doesn't say, but David has to be impressed by her because that's not a bad argument. She obviously knows her stuff. Okay, verse 27, she continues. Va'ata, and now, habracha hazot. Let this gift, she's talking about the food, ashevi shifratcha ladoni, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the men who walk at my Lord's feet. In Hebrew it says, hamitalchim, the literal translation, let it be given to the men who walk at my Lord's feet. But what she means here, here's the food for your boys who follow you. 
And the Mitzudat David points out that she says, here's the food for your boys who follow you. She doesn't say, here's food for you. That doesn't sound as respectable towards David. He's obviously hungry too, but she's not going to say, here, David, here's some food, go and eat. She says, it's for your men. You obviously are above that. You're above eating. And Rabbi Kahana gives another reason why she addressed David's men and not David. It wasn't just a matter of covered for David. Rabbi Kahana says like this, Avigail sees that David's men, they're not too happy. Maybe David is intrigued by Avigail, but who says David's men are? I mean, we're going to see later on that David always has problems with his guys. They could be hotheads at times. He's got to calm them down all the time. And they may not be as forgiving as David is. They may not be on the same page as David, and they may still want to continue on their rampage to wipe out Naval. So she's saying, here, guys, here's the food. And Rabbi Kana adds that she says, here's the food for the boys who follow you. Literally, who walk at my Lord's feet. Why does she say it that way? She's reminding them, hey, you guys are under David's command. You follow David. He's the guy who decides, not you. She's hinting that by addressing the boys that they follow David. So we see her wisdom at every turn by looking at the commentaries. We see how every word is very well thought out. Another smart move, according to the Malbim, is that she says, here is the gift, the food that your handmaid has brought. Now in English, you won't see a difference, but in Hebrew, the word for bring is in the masculine form. The word for bring that's used is hevi, is masculine. It should be hevia because in Hebrew, the verb has to agree with the noun. It's not like English, you bring, she brings, he brings. It's the same word, brings. In Hebrew, it should be hevia, not hevi. It's in the masculine form here, not the feminine form. So why does she say it that way? Because Avigail wants it to look like Naval brought it. Hevi, that he brought that is from him. It's his money. Even if he didn't bring it personally, remember, it's his money. It's his property. It's his stuff. So it's not like Avigail's giving David charity. She's bringing it from Naval's stash. So she says, Hevi and lo Hevi'ah. Okay, verse 28. Sana pesha amatecha. Forgive the sin of your maidservant. Okay, so what is she apologizing for? So the Abarbanel says she's apologizing for the food coming late. She just gave him the food. She says, here it is. And then she says, sorry, it took so long. Now that's, that's one possibility. But other commentators say that she's apologizing because maybe what she just said to David can be taken as an insult. That is going by the Talmud. She might've insulted him when she said he's not king yet and he should calm down. Saul's the king in the meantime. Maybe she's apologizing for that. Or she might be apologizing in advance for what she's about to say because she's about to say some things that might be a knock on David or hurt his honor, but she wants David to know that what she's about to say is for his own good. Okay, so after apologizing at the beginning of the verse, let's finish the verse. The Lord will make for you an everlasting house, a bayit ne'eman. She's saying, everyone knows God chose you as king, and he will establish for you a kingdom forever. Now, how does she know? Well, we can say she's one of the seven women prophets, or we could say what we said earlier, that Shmuel revealed it already before passing. And anyway, she continues, the Lord will make for you a sure house, a bayit ne'eman, ki milchamot Hashem Adoni nilcham, because you fight the battles of the Lord, vera lotim sabacha miyamecha, and let no wrongdoing or evil be found in you as long as you live. Okay, so this is really key now what she's saying. She's saying like this, you're going to be fighting the wars of Hashem, Milchamot Hashem, she says. This thing with Naval, it's not a Milchamot Hashem. 
It's not a battle of the Lord. He's just a putz. This isn't what you're about. You're about fighting the battles of the Lord. And the second part of the verse, let no evil be found in you, according to the Radak and the Barbanel. She's saying, don't be like Saul. Let no evil be found in you. I mean, he killed the priests in Nov. And if you slaughter Navala and his household, that might be like the same thing. Saul also blamed the priests in Nov for being murdered by Malchut. So that's not you. You have to fight Melchamot Hashem. That's what she's saying in the verse. And I want to bring an important Mitzudat David in the verse when she says, my Lord fights the wars of the Lord, Melchamot Hashem. The Mitzudat David says something a little bit different, but it's close. He says, that up to now, all the wars you've been fighting, you've been fighting the Philistines, the Melchamot Hashem, the battles of the Lord. Don't change now. And then she continues in the same vein. If a man has arisen to chase you, to take your life, the life of my Lord, she's talking about David, let it be bound in the bundle of life. And that's an expression we hear a lot. And let the lives of your enemies, the lives of your enemies, the Lord will sling it as from the pocket of a slingshot. So the pshat here is your soul will be bound in the bundle of life, and your enemy's soul will be hurled out like a slingshot to Timbuktu. So this verse, like many verses in the Tanakh, especially Abigail's speech here, it could be understood on different levels, especially when you have these terms, that's what you usually hear when somebody's talking about somebody's soul, let's say at a eulogy, um, they talk about the person's neshama being bound in the bundle of life. So Tirugum Yonatan says that what she's saying is that she's blessing David. May your soul be hidden in the treasury of eternal life. And may the soul of your enemies, may they be flung like they're being shot out of a slingshot. That is their souls will have no rest. Now Rabbi Kahana takes it more on the pshat, the simple level. She's saying like this, let Hashem take the vengeance against David's enemies like Saul and others. And she uses the slingshot metaphor as a reference to David's victory over Goliath with a slingshot. That is, Hashem will give you the victory over your enemies. But she's going to explain as she goes further that all this is regarding people who really want to kill you. Hashem will take care of them and you'll get to the throne, but only if you remain pure and don't spill innocent blood. Because if you do, you lose a certain merit in heaven and God forbid you may fall to Saul. That's what she's going to say now in verse 30 and 31. And this ends her long speech. Verses 30 and 31, she really now gets to the tachlis of what she wants to say. And so it will be when the Lord will do every good thing he promised you. That is Hashem, he'll fulfill his word to make you the king. As ruler over Israel, Nagid al-Yisrael, let this not be a stumbling block for you. Don't have this be a mechsholev, she calls it. Something on your conscience, something that will cause you remorse. And you'll have this awful burden on your heart that you caused needless bloodshed. And then finally she says, and when the Lord your God has brought you success, remember your servant, that is, remember me. So she's saying here that when this is all over and you're the king, just remember how I saved you from doing the wrong thing. Okay, so even without delving into this with any commentary, it's a great ending. You can feel the wisdom in it. And what she's saying is, yeah, it might feel right. You might feel great now to kill Naval and his household. But in the long run, after you become the king, it's going to be something that will stain your record. It will be a mechsholev, she calls it. Something on your conscience. 
It'll be a stain when you look back at it and you'll regret it. There'll be remorse and you'll constantly be thinking, maybe I did the wrong thing. And that will give cause to your enemies to defeat you. It'll be on your mind. And who knows, in those days, people take vengeance all the time. Somebody might come along from the Vals household and take it out on you and you'll become paranoid, just like Saul's paranoid of you. You'll be watching your back all the time. You don't need that. That's what she means by let this not be a stumbling block and cause you remorse later. Rashi says something else. If you do this, that is you wipe everybody out, you won't be able to chastise others. Okay, so looking at these last two verses, 30 and 31, seems pretty straightforward. We explained it. She's basically saying, don't do anything you're going to regret later. But now according to the sages though, in Masechet Megillah, page 14, they say there's something else going on here, that there's a romantic angle here. When Avigail said, let this not be a stumbling block or a weight on your conscience, she was talking about two sins that David almost committed. One was murder against Naval, and the other was the sin of adultery. Now, how's that? How did David almost commit adultery? Well, the Talmud says that when she said back in verse 26, may your enemies be like Naval, David construed from that that Naval died and he proposed to her to be with her. So that's kind of interesting. And they also say that when she said, remember your servant, she was also hinting that when this is all over, remember me, maybe we'll get married. Anyway, Rabbi Kahana writes the following about this Talmud in Megillah, where David almost acted inappropriately with her. The rabbi says like this, even the righteous Jewish leaders, they're flesh and blood like anybody else, and they can fall victim to their Yetzirah, especially David. The Raubach says this, Tivoshel David, it was in David's nature, noteh, El Rivboy Hamiskal, that he had a tendency in his nature towards sexual activity. Maybe this sounds blasphemous to talk that way about David Amelech, but that's what Saul meant back at that Rosh Chodesh feast when David didn't show up the first night. And Saul said, well, he probably had a seminal emission because of his impure thoughts. So there's hints to this in other places. You have the Batsheva story. I don't want to get into it any more than this, but if you're interested uh, to why I think David had this tendency and other proofs to it, you can email me at LennyGoldberg40 at gmail.com, LennyGoldberg40, the number 40, at gmail.com, and maybe we can talk about it. Anyway, let's stop here. Abigail said her piece. David is obviously impressed, and he's going to say his piece.